Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Why do we love God? The correct answer is because he first loved us. How do you show love then to God? By showing love to your neighbor. You are close. The Apostle John writes, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother who he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And in this commandment we have him from him Whoever loves God must also love his brother. There is always in these times a needed reminder of the definition of love. Love can only be defined by God who is love. And that definition of love he has given to us in his word. The word which we have, especially in those commandments. That love is not defined by emotion. That love is not defined by the culture around us or the changing times or even our own sensibilities. It is defined by the word of God. The gospel lesson today and the epistle along with it exhorts us to this. They teach humility. How do you show humility to God? By showing humility to your neighbor. It is like love. The Pharisees in the gospel lesson today showed pride. They invited Jesus to this feast. And of course they were watching him intently in order to catch him. To catch him and his teaching. To catch him and his healing on the Sabbath. His healing of this man born with dropsy. You see... The unbelieving are always going to look to use the service of Christians against them. But that did not stop Christ from healing that man. And, of course, it should not stop us as we serve our neighbors to have the scorn of the world directed our way as well. Jesus brought that Pharisee and the lawyers along with them. He brought them low in showing how poorly they understood God's word in the teaching of the Sabbath. He revealed to them and to everyone looking on their evil intentions. He showed how shallow their outward works and their adherence of love towards each other really was. They were self-seekers. They were piling up the virtue that their world had determined was important. The virtue that the world demanded by their own selfish pride and their ruling over each other in a competition of who would be first and who would be greatest. He said they were of the world and not of God. It is the same today. Jesus' admonition about sitting in the least of seats would not get anyone anywhere ahead in the world. No, today in the world it is all about self-esteem, self-direction, self-promotion, self-advancement. Self. In apathy toward at the expense of and all too often in abuse of the neighbor. 
Families are cast off for the sake of career advancement. Children are put aside for the sake of personal development. Even marriage is forsaken for many and various reasons to get ahead in this world. The one who does everything for himself, that is the one who is going to get the best seats, the most honor, the most attention. The proud get ahead in this world. But that is not contradicting what Jesus teaches in the text today. That if indeed you want the kingdoms of this world and their glory, that is the way to do it. Just like the Pharisees in dog-eat-dog world. If you want that, then you may certainly have at it. But know, in doing so, that you render service. You bow the knee to the ruler of this world, Satan. And that master is more than willing to have you enjoy all the decades you get on this earth. At the expense of eternity and torment. Because he ultimately does not care about you. His kingdom knows nothing of love. It is not so in the kingdom of Christ where there is true love. And that true love reigns. The greatest is the one who serves. The meek and the poor in spirit. They are the ones who are blessed. The one who wants to be first must become the last. And servant of all. It is the one who humbles himself like a dependent child that is put before as an example of the kingdom of Christ. It is not the one who claims to be the master of everything and need no one else. This teaching goes on in the history of the church. God does not change, and neither does his kingdom. He chooses Seth to advance his godly line. Not murderous, powerful, and great Cain. He chooses to save Noah and his family in the face of a world that had gone mad with power. He brings the builders of Babel low as they try to make a name for themselves by building their tower into heaven. He uses the second-born sons, Isaac, Jacob. He chooses a little group of people in Egypt for his own possession. He humbles their pride repeatedly in the wilderness during the Exodus. He selects the youngest son, far less in appearance than his older brother, David, as king. He raises up the nation on its own, but lets it fall apart whenever it tries to ally with the kingdoms of the world. He brings proud kings to ruin. He honors and blesses humble kings who seek to serve God in serving their nation. He uses simple prophets who are often outnumbered by the false prophets of the day. He brings the nation into captivity and ruin when they become too proud and arrogant. He saves a humble people. He rescues and delivers a remnant of the faithful in the face of a grand-scale apostasy. And at the fullness of time, He chooses a lowly young woman named Mary to be blessed among all women, to be the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he chooses men to serve as apostles from the varieties of life, like fishermen and tax collectors, none of high standing. He gathers for himself his little church from among the lowest of the people of the world. 
as St. Paul says it, the foolish, the weak, the despised, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. This read-through of Christian history might seem foreign to us. It is foreign to us because we have been so blessed by God as Christendom has been granted so many fruitful years over the earth in which the church has gained much from the world and has held much sway over the world. But that has been lost. It has been lost as unfaithfulness has cost Christians such things. Now the Lord is beginning to bring Christians low again, chastising his own, reminding us of his eternal kingdom and how we ought to live our lives in lowliness and gentleness and meekness and humility towards him as we humbly serve first each other and then the others that he actually puts around us in our day-to-day lives. It may seem foreign, but it is absolutely in line with our Lord's teaching for for today from the Word of God. This is a teaching that the Word of God reiterates over and over again. For example, from the book of James, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And again, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. From Peter to those in persecution, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. From Solomon, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble, there is wisdom. In Psalm 147, the Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. From Mary in her song, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. From our psalm for today, we see that the rulers of nations are especially to be reminded of all of this. We can also look at any example of the kings in the Old Testament, especially thinking here of Nebuchadnezzar, who God brought low. God will bring the proud ones, the arrogant ones, the haughty ones low. He will do so if not during their life, then certainly by ending their life, usually at the hand of someone more powerful than they. Now, if all of this talk about being brought low and being raised up and exalted and so forth brings any offense to you, it brings an offense if you think that in all of this, Jesus and God's word is talking about this temporal or earthly life. Because in this temporal life, this is not usually what happens, is it? Are the proud brought low in this life? It does not seem like it. They seem to be the ones that are gaining in their arrogance and their popularity and strength and influence among people. Here we must understand that while we and other human beings have only a short view of this, of course God has eternity in mind. That certainly the plans of a proud ruler are ended at his death. And that God himself brings death that is indeed one way that he brings a man low. 
He also does at times frustrate the plans of the wicked. That movements of proud sinfulness will come to their close at their own hand as well. You just cannot entertain evil forever without evil devouring you. But Christians, we should not take this so offensive that the ungodly get ahead so far in this life because we do not live just for this life. We do not live for the here and now, and thus our Lord, our God, the God over all time, he determines when all of this happens, the bringing low, the raising up. He has set that final day, that last day, as the day when this will exactly happen for all. That is when Christ will come and he will bring everything to its final, unending and enduring reality. On that day, the person who lived for his own glory by pride and hubris in service to himself at the expense of his neighbor for his own benefit, he will find out the cost of the temporal and utterly temporary gain. For such a one shows that he never knew Christ, the Savior. It shows that they never trusted in him. You are to remember that this is a warning, a warning to the world, your flesh, and the devil along with them. They will tempt you to live a life that is full of this kind of self-seeking pride. The life that you see others around you doing and gaining by doing so. But remember, their end is destruction. Take heed of Christ. Those who did not know Christ in this life, that is, those who believe in Christ. Those who did know, let's get that right. Those who did know Christ in this life, that is you. Those who know suffering and bring themselves low by repentance and faith, admitting sin and confessing it to one another, forgiving one another, and then from that faith in Christ, serving the neighbor, anyone in need, even if it costs you, That Christian will know eternal life. That Christian will know what it is to be exalted. That Christian will know what it is to be a son of God. Sheep in the flock of Jesus. I was reading a commentary about this text and it said that this text is a great parable to teach social manners at get-togethers. Now isn't that something? A load of baloney is what it is. This text is not about social graces. It is about a life of humble service to God by humbly serving others because Christ has first served you. Isaiah foretold that Christ would be despised, rejected by men, oppressed and afflicted. Like a sheep before his shearers, be silent and humble. As you will be reminded in about two months at the start of a new church year, Christ rides into Jerusalem, the triumphant entry. He does so humble and riding on a donkey in fulfillment of the prophet Zechariah's word. Christ himself in his ministry invites those of you who are in this world who labor and are heavy burdened, and that includes almost everyone I know these days, to come and take rest in him. For he is gentle and lowly in heart. In him you will find rest for your souls. And finally, as St. Paul declares, Christ humbled himself to the point of death, 
even death upon a cross. That our Lord Jesus Christ, exalted higher than all things, with everything being put under his feet, also lowered himself, lower than all things in service to all, in order to save all. That is his humble service to you and for your sake. It is his humble service to you that can fuel your humble service to others. Thus you can serve God humbly by serving your neighbor, because you have been served by Christ. Now, the things that you think you miss out on for being humble and serving, well, they really will not matter at the last day. And so really should they, not, they should not matter in the present. They are delusions for the unbelieving world to chase after. And chase it does. Such things will be revealed at the last as vanity, pure vanity, nothingness, the chasing after the wind. Only those things which grow out of faith will remain. Love and service will remain. Christ's work for your salvation, first and foremost of love and service among those things, that Christ humbled himself to save you. And because of his work of your salvation, because you are saved, you can now humbly serve others in this life. You do not need credit. You do not need attention. Your future is secure in Christ through your baptism. So humble yourselves before God. Let it be known by your service to others, and he will exalt you at the last. In your baptism is all the proof and all the promise that you need, and he does so much more in his life for you to prepare and keep you for the life that is yet to come. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace that surpasses all human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.